Hey man, welcome back to the Super Divorce Supercast. Nicholas Villars here, aka Super Divorce, and today is Supercast number episode uh, 102, or episode number 102. You could say it that way if you want to. I said it both. Take your pick. This is the first recorded Supercast episode since June 8th of 2019. We've had about a two-year and eight-month break here in betwixt episodes. And uh, it's been even longer than that since we've done a sit-down recorded episode of the Supercast. Because the most recent one that was done back in June of 2019, that was a live episode recorded over on YouTube. Did that on a YouTube live stream. Uh, This is the first recorded show in some time. So thanks for being here. Uh, You may be wondering if you listened to this program back when it was happening regularly. If you listened to uh, one of the first 101 episodes and we went away for almost three years, you might be asking yourself, why bring this podcast back after such a long break? Why not just let it lie? Why not let sleeping dogs lie? Uh, The answer is because I need some content need extra content for the YouTube channel, and I've been thinking about doing this for some time, and certain events have transpired, certain goings-on have gone on, and now seemed like the perfect time to go ahead and pull the trigger on this idea that I'd been kicking around for some time anyhow, and damn it, why not? So what am I going to be covering here on this revamped, slightly revamped version of the Supercast. What's going to be going on here? Mostly some video game talk. Talking about video games I'm playing. Talking about uh, various projects going on in the world of Super Divorce. Because there's more to Super Divorce now than just music. We've got YouTube. That's really where the focus has been for some time now. But we're going to be focusing on probably a lot on video games and my thoughts on the games I'm playing. That's really where the focus of the YouTube channel has been. So people coming to this new and fresh will probably be checking it out because they've been watching Super Divorce gameplay videos on the YouTube channel. So going to be uh, honoring those people by covering what's current. Covering the reason for people to be following Super Divorce at the moment, and that would be for the video game content that I've been doing. Because not much has been going on in the world of Super Divorce music, and the artwork and and comic book stuff has kind of been placed on hold though i'll be talking about that it's not gonna be on hold much longer i've got some stuff to get to uh, here today by the by probably hearing this not on a monday i'm recording this on a tuesday the new schedule for the super divorce supercast 
is going to be Mondays and Saturdays. So please look forward to that. I tried to record, an, well actually I did record an episode yesterday and had some technical difficulties, had to scrap the whole damn thing and by the time that occurred it was too late for me to go ahead and record uh, all over again. Also slightly demoralized and it wouldn't have been as high energy and fun, you know, because I had just put all this time into recording a full episode of the supercast what was going to be the return episode and then things happen and it's lost time and we're not going to be doing that so i didn't want to try to yank another episode out of myself right after that unfortunate experience that i had last evening so here we are we're doing it again and lord willing this is the one that will actually go up and that you'll be listening to on a Tuesday instead of a Monday, but in the future, Mondays and Saturdays, two supercasts a week. Used to, used to just get one. Used to be one episode a week. I am asking more of myself. I want to be able to uh, provide more stuff for you, the listeners, and keep it coming, you know. Uh, definitely want to avoid any more three-year layoffs okay so what's been going on with super divorce you might be asking yourself maybe you're just uh kind of out of the loop maybe you have not been following super divorce on youtube perhaps you you know had some uh, sort of alert set up on your podcast platform of preference And you got an alert and it was like, hey, Super Divorce has a new podcast episode up. And you could be scratching your head saying, what? Why? Um, I'll tell you why. Well, I kind of told you why. But what what have I been up to? What's been going on? What's been the deal? Been doing a lot of gameplay on YouTube. Just mentioned that. Lots of no commentary gameplay videos. Featuring mostly indie horror games. Independently made horror games. Not many AAA titles. Been kind of staying away from those. Not only are indie games much cheaper, many of them offer much more satisfying experiences than a lot of these big top tier games coming out. I'm not just saying that to be a contrarian or to sound like a hipster, a video game hipster. I think if you gave it a try, you'd probably end up agreeing with me, no matter which genre you're interested in, even if you don't like horror titles, if you don't like horror games. There are always, it seems, fantastic new video games coming out, I mean, daily. You go to a place like itch.io, if you haven't heard of that website, I-T-C-H dot I-O. Fantastic new games every single day. And there are still great games coming out every day on, on Steam. You can usually find something worth playing there. GameJolt.com. I mean, there's no shortage of, of stuff to play. You do not need to wait for these triple-A titles to be coming out. You don't need to consult your game informer to figure out which games to play. That actually struck me yesterday. I got a new 
magazine in the mail. The latest issue of Game Informer magazine arrived because I still re-up on my power-up card at GameStop, and I always opt for the print version of the magazine, not the digital copy. I can go to a website, you know, that's a, that's a complete uh, sham mockery, in my opinion, the digital magazine. It's garbage. No. We want the physical copy. We want something sent to the house. We want something to, uh, you know, to to uh, leaf through while we're taking a shit. That's what we want. That's what we want. We want nice big pictures we can look at right there on the printed page. That's what we want. So I was flipping through the latest issue of Game Informer featuring Elden Ring on the cover. Lots of people playing Elden Ring right now. I am not because everyone's playing Elden Ring. So if I make an Elden Ring video and post it on YouTube, no one cares because there's already thousands, literally thousands of videos featuring that game that other people are playing right now. And YouTubers, if you're an up-and-coming YouTuber like me, if you are trying to get your channel off the ground, here's a piece of advice. Find a little niche that you can cover that not everyone else is jumping in on. Because there's a school of thought that says you need to ride the wave of popularity. You've got to jump on the biggest games coming out and cover those and stream those. And I disagree. I have had tremendous growth on this channel by covering games that are a little off the radar, a little under the radar, whichever you uh, prefer to say there. Um, games that not everyone's talking about, but that some people are interested in. And, and if you get a reputation for doing stuff like that, then not only are the people searching for those games in particular going to come to you, but they will trust you in the future, perhaps, to bring them tell of other under-the-radar games that they should maybe check out. And that's kind of what I have geared this channel towards, the YouTube channel anyway. And I think that it's been a fun way to experience some new games, and I think it's been helpful for some people anyway out there. I don't have millions of subs. I'm no PewDiePie. I'm no Markiplier. But I've got a nice little um, group of subscribers at this point, getting close to 15,000. And I've done that by posting video game music and video game playthroughs of games that not everyone is covering. So just something to gnaw on if you have your own channel and you're trying to grow. Think about that. Try and find something a little bit off the reservation that you are interested in, that you can have fun covering, that not everyone else is, you know, flocking to uh, talk about, but that will have its audience. Think about that. So, mm, what was I saying? Oh, yeah, what's been going on with Super Horse? Yeah, so we've been doing these gameplay not quite walkthroughs, most of them. I don't really consider them that. I consider them kind of blind playthroughs. That's what I've been posting a lot of. Some of them are more 
point A to point B walkthrough type uh, videos. No commentary, like I said, because people seem to enjoy that. So taking my ego out of it, I don't need to blow my face up on the screen. People don't need to hear me talking over top of all the games. They're not re uh, reaction videos. That's another thing a lot of YouTubers think they need to do. Everyone needs to react. Everyone needs to show the reaction. To me, if you're not one of these guys who's already made it in that realm, if you don't have a huge channel, a huge following, um, and you've not proven yourself as being a worthy entertainer, if you're just some dickhead and, uh, and you put your face over top of the game and you're screaming over top of it the whole time, and it's really forced, and you're just trying to emulate one of the big guys, it's a turnoff. I don't think people want that for the most part. Unless you have something unique to bring to the table, unless your reactions are somehow different from all the other ones that are already gaining millions and millions of views, why should anyone want to see you react? That's my question. And that's what I thought to myself um, when I did the first Super Play video, my first no commentary gameplay video featuring Sense, a cyberpunk ghost story. I did that back in 2020, back in August of 2020. I kind of had that thought to myself. I was like, does anyone really need to see me reacting? Does anyone want to see that? I had fun doing the live streams of Shenmue, my Shenmue playthroughs. I was uh, reacting to those. I did those on camera and, and was providing some commentary. But, you know, I had a bit of a connection to those games. And I had some things to say about them because the original Shenmue, one of my favorite games of all time. So I had a little bit invested. And... As a longtime fan, uh, I thought, you know, I might have some some fun and interesting commentary to provide. Those videos still didn't set the world on fire or anything, but if I went back and watched them, I would say that my, my reactions and my playthroughs were, at the very least, genuine. But if I was filming myself, putting myself on camera, and trying to talk over top of all these games that I've been playing, that's where I feel like I would be getting into that uh, that faker realm. Because sometimes I'm playing these things and there's like no reaction. And I like being able to sit here and go through the game honestly. If I had to play up for the camera all of my reactions and all these games I play, I feel like it would just it would become nauseating. And I would grow resentful towards the games, and you guys would probably pick up on it. Because uh, I, I'm just not that type of uh, personality. I typically am not the, the kind of guy who is laughing uproariously at every single uh, joke moment in a movie or in a TV show, and uh, when I'm playing scary games, I'm, I'm not screaming at the top of my lungs. It's not how I react. I might get startled sometimes. You can probably tell 
on some of the no commentary videos that I've done. And you'll be able to pick up on it. And I do try to convey a little bit of emotion when I'm playing these games without talking, without showing my face. I think that sometimes people do pick up and comment on the emotion that I convey just through the way I'm playing the game, which is always funny. I find that humorous when people leave a comment on a video and they correctly point out how I was feeling at a particular time just because of, uh, you know, maybe the way the mouse jittered at a particular moment during a jump scare or um, they pick up on, on frustration because I die several times in a row and then uh, then just start running through the game extra sloppy like I don't give a fuck because sometimes I don't. So you can still convey some emotion without screaming your lungs out or without uh, you know blowing your face up on the screen and, and trying to make the main attraction yourself. You know, some people do a good job at that and they are a worthy main attraction over the game. Sometimes that's the case. In my case, I don't think that that would be uh, the proper way to do it. So, uh, so I will take my time. I'll go through the games. I'll play them honestly. And what I want to kind of use this platform for, at least partially, is to then discuss my playthroughs and to give you my thoughts about the games without having to do it over top of the games themselves. So... You know, if uh, that's something that you've been wondering, I wonder how he feels about this game that he played or that game. Well, um, as we move forward here with the Supercast, that's what I hope to do, at least in part. Now with this one, we're going to be getting caught up to speed. I'm not going to go through every single game that I've played for the past two years. Uh, we would be here in a 25-part series each episode lasting about five hours. So we're not going to do that, but I'm going to try to hit some of the games that have really stuck with me, some of the games I've really really enjoyed since I started doing the Super Play videos and since I started taking the YouTube channel in that direction. So I will share my thoughts on uh, some of those items. We'll get around to that in just a bit here. Uh, I also wanted to say that when it comes to super divorce projects things you can please look forward to um, something that's going to be coming up uh, I don't know exactly how I'm going to release this yet but there will be new music and there will be accompanying artwork in the form of a miniature comic book I'm going to do a mini comic very mini when I say mini, I mean super mini. Not like typical ash can size. Smaller than that. We're talking about the size of a comic book that you would imagine being packaged with... Um, if you've seen the new He-Man Origins line, those action figures, they all come with a comic book. That's kind of the size we're going for. Listen. You hear that? That should give you uh, some idea. That was me flapping around a mini comic that I'm basing the size of my books on. And it was going to be maybe um, six to eight pages, something like that. And I'll be releasing a mini comic 
with a probably a two song single CD and cassette tape those will be the options two songs uh, you know one for each side when it comes to the cassette and uh, the two songs will kind of be a, a bit of a soundtrack to the comic book that you'll get and then at the end of the year after 12 months after 12 releases I will be bundling all those tracks together into a full length album and then also doing a full size comic book collecting the individual uh, mini comics that that we've done over the course of the past year that's my plan okay and uh, that would be a, a proudly Comicscape production let me say that and be very clear that'll be a proudly Comicscape production so if that bothers you then um, you know I'm sorry. No, I'm not. I'm not sorry. I'm sorry that you're you're bothered by it. I'm not so. I'm not sorry that I'm uh, a part of Comicsgate or that I've been um, influenced or inspired by Comicsgate. But I'm sorry that you would feel like you cannot support the project just because I'm saying it's a Comicsgate project itself. Because here's why: I would not be here doing YouTube if it weren't for Comicsgate. Ethan Van Skyver in particular. And the reason why this goes back to what have you been up to, Super Divorce? Goes back to when Ethan Van Skyver began streaming on YouTube. I knew him from his work at DC Comics. I was a fan of his stuff with Jeff Johns that he did, all the artwork on Flash Rebirth and Green Lantern Rebirth. So I knew about him from those books and from his art. I don't remember how I stumbled upon his YouTube channel, but I did right when he began talking about the upcoming Star Wars film, Solo, or as he called it, Soilo. And he was doing these hilarious streams and, and videos just roasting Star Wars and built up quite an audience. And he wasn't really talking about his artwork. That really kind of came after months of him... Um, covering Star Wars and the sorry state that it was in and the direction it was headed. And he had all these people who came to him to just watch and listen to his Star Wars coverage. And then after a while, because he was no longer at DC, he was trying to figure out what he was going to do next as far as artwork goes. And he, he kind of started floating the idea of bringing back this character he created in the 90s called Cyberfrog that he had not drawn in like 20 years, seriously. Hadn't done an issue in like 20 years. Let it sit there because he was working in mainstream comics the whole time. So there's really no time or reason for him to work on his indie 90s character, Cyberfrog. But after he left DC, after that falling out, um, and once he gained this following on YouTube... He started talking about it a little bit, and a lot of people who followed him just for his Star Wars coverage were really pushing him to try it. You know, why not bring back your character? Why not do another Cyberfrog book and crowdfund it? And a bunch of these people, like I said, were just there for Star Wars. But they got on board with the idea of 
supporting him in his effort to bring back this character he created almost 20 years prior. And they were really enthusiastic about supporting not just the comic book, but supporting him because he had been bringing them so much great, entertaining shit over the span of those months that he, you know, was was talking about Star Wars like every day. And the people appreciated that. And they're like, well, since you've been doing this for us, we want to support you and we want to we want to help you get this book out. And so long story short, he launched it on Indiegogo. The damn thing made over a million dollars, I think broke all the records at that point for crowdfunded comic books and just totally floored Ethan with the amount of money that it brought in, the amount of support that people threw behind it for this character that had just been sitting on the shelf, like I said, for two decades. And because of his dedication to what he was doing on YouTube, to producing new videos consistently, uh, to interacting with his fans and his chat, that was another big thing is on the live streams is talking to people, acknowledging them, and, and commenting back to people in the comments sections. And so I saw all this and really took it to heart because I had kind of been dealing with uh, this idea for years. I had this idea in my mind of, of uh, a fan base, not just centered on like whatever project that I was involved in, but you know, that brought people together because they enjoyed the same kind of things outside of whatever the music was. And this goes all the way back to when I was in The Great American Beast. I think that's the first time I had this idea. And I wanted to do something kind of like that with our Facebook page, but it just didn't, it wasn't, it was tough to pull off, you know? It was a little clunky and I didn't, I didn't have the vision really zeroed in. I didn't know exactly what to do. I just had the idea. It's like, what if we, uh, you know, what if we got people to come to this page and, and not just talk about us, but to talk about what they're interested in and what, what things they're enjoying outside of the great American beast music. Because I think that gets kind of old. It gets stale really quickly. If an artist, um, only focuses on themselves and if the only time you ever hear from an artist is when they have something new to sell you, I mean, people, I guess, have been okay with it historically, but that doesn't mean it's the best way to do things. I think people got used to that with major label artists in particular. We're talking about music here, but you would get used to that. Your favorite band or your favorite musician releases an album and there's like the promotional push for it. They may do some interviews and then they go on tour and then they go away for who the hell knows how long and they're just gone. You look at their Twitter or their official website and the news is like the announcement of the, the tour from several years ago. They haven't posted anything new. They haven't given any updates. And then, of course, you hear from them again several years down the line when there's a new album and that just seemed like kind of a lame way to go about things especially when we have the technology and the means to stay in touch with people who are supporting us non-stop and that's what I wanted to do and I finally saw a way to do that successfully 
in a way that looked like fun through YouTube in particular. And, and so that's why I say I was inspired by Ethan and what he was able to do, not only for himself, but for all the people who were supporting him. Because it was, I mean, every single day he was giving them something new. Whereas in the past, if you were a fan of Ethan Van Skyver and you wanted to hear from him, it's like you could read his comic books coming out monthly. And maybe you could go in and listen to him do a Q&A panel at, um, you know, Comic-Con. But outside of those two things, if you wanted to hear from him, there really wasn't any way to do that. When he started doing YouTube, it was like, oh, here's a creator who's actually giving back to the people who are supporting him by engaging with them and by doing something almost every single day. And it doesn't matter that he's not just drawing new pictures all the time for these people to see. It's actually better than that, I think, because he was connecting with people in a way that took the spotlight off of himself in some sense. Of course, he's still the one talking. He's the one releasing these videos, sharing his opinion. But the opinion is it's discussing something that other people are interested in that's not him. So it's like people are congregating around a topic that everyone's focused on. They're not just focused on the speaker and what he's doing. It's like they're focused on something else that the speaker is also focused on. And I think that makes a difference. And it shows people that you're willing to examine something that um, that's not of your own creation. You're able to uh, sort of spotlight someone else's work and talk about it and come together with other people who are enjoying that thing. And it's not just all about you. And it's not just all about you trying to sell your newest product. Like I said, Ethan was doing these videos daily uh, before he knew for sure that he was going to bring Cyberfrog back. It just seemed like a fun thing that he was doing, and he started to have success with it, and people were, were clamoring for more and more. And that showed a real, I think, way forward, and as I said several times now, inspired me to give it a shot. And so that's when I really started getting into the idea of building this channel, using it for more than just posting uh, Super Divorce music videos. But back when it was a two-piece band still, when Bender was still here, I mean, you may recall, if you've been around for a while, uh, we did a uh, horror movie review called Super Scary. We did a comic book review called Super Fanatics. We did this podcast for almost, uh, well, basically for 100 episodes. And we did Super Divorce Gets Beer, where we used to film our walk down to the local Ameristop. We'd always pick up a six-pack right before we recorded this podcast, and we would record that walk, record the process of us grabbing whatever beer we're going to get and discuss on the uh, podcast that night. And we had, I think, a, a good little system going for a while, and it was a lot to keep up with, I'll be honest. It was, it was a lot to keep up with. We were trying to do all of these things, you know, every single week. 
and um, I started thinking about what we were going to do for the next album, and I really wanted to take the musicianship to another level for it, talking about after action figures. And the more I thought about it, the more it looked like those other side projects were not going to be able to survive that process. So we kind of put those things on hold, and I wanted to really zero in on guitar, on keyboard, on production. I wanted to be able to go into the final phase of recording basically with the album really fleshed out, unlike what we did for action figures where we went in with basically nine songs that were kind of demoed, but there was a lot of writing that took place in the studio for action figures and a lot of a lot of figuring things out, a lot of trial and error and things of that nature. I wanted I wanted it to be much more solidified going into the uh, the recording of the next album, which of course has still not happened yet uh, for various reasons. But anyway, all of those shows got put on hold, and then there was this long period where I was trying to practice all this music stuff on my own. Um, didn't really have much for Bender to do in that regard, and. And that's kind of how things became a one-man show. It's not like Bender did anything wrong, if you're ever wondering what uh, what happened to Bender. It's not like he did anything wrong. It's not like we had a, a falling out or, or anything like that. There's no, like, bad blood about it. I mean, um, it just naturally kind of came to this place where I felt like it had become a one-man show and and I was asking a lot of myself and I guess I didn't uh, I didn't know if it would be fair to ask him to put in the same amount of work that I was doing and then because of that it felt like it had become uh, like I said it, it felt like it had become a one-man project and um Perhaps things could have been worked out differently. That's just that's that's the way it went, and uh, we are where we where we we are where we are now. And uh, uh, yeah, so I tried some different things over the years as far as bringing regular content back to the channel because it hit me at some point. I shouldn't let this YouTube thing go completely. It's like, yeah, if I need to focus on the music, that's great, but also I'm kind of squandering this opportunity and this thing that I believed in at one point very strongly uh, felt like I was wasting that. Felt like I had kind of abandoned that avenue and um, that didn't strike me as, as very smart. So... Uh, tried coming back, doing some comic book reviews, doing some video game streaming here and there, did some pop culture stuff. W but that was one of those things where I didn't want to do pop culture stories all the time. That is not my bread and butter, I guess. 
maybe if I had someone else to talk to, someone else to bounce ideas off of, to have interesting discussions. But I'm not really... Uh, could I rant about things? Yeah, I guess I could. But I didn't want to do that every single day. I don't want to look for things to rant about. So I like talking about new collectibles that were coming out and uh, and new items I'd picked up, new comics. I did a unboxing show called What Could It Be Now? I did 100 episodes of that. I mean, most of them got between 5 and 10 views, so that's why I pulled the plug on it eventually. I think I knew I was going to end it once I got to around like episode 60-something, um, just because it didn't seem like anyone was watching them. That's not a boo-hoo or anything. I was just like, okay, this is... Uh, this is not setting the world on fire, so I'm just kind of doing it. But I was so close. I was already past, it was well past 50 episodes. And I was like, these things don't take too long to put together. So, you know, I'll go to 100 and then I'll pull the plug on it. And that's what happened. But if you're interested in checking those out, you can still find them on the channel. They're still there. Uh, just like the old episodes of Super Scary. If you're feeling nostalgic, if you want to watch me and Bender together, Super Scary, Super Fanatics, those are still on here. You can go back and listen to the old podcast episodes. Even some of the really early podcast episodes are fun to listen to. I was laughing my ass off recently uh, listening to one, what was it? I don't remember which episode number it is. It's uh, The title of the episode is Spaghetti Fuckboy versus F Chef. Go and check that one out. Uh, it's pretty pretty hilarious. We had a good time making those. Back when it was still a four-piece band, a four-piece post-hardcore rock and roll outfit with myself, Bender, Bob, and Dale. Um, those were good times too. But all that stuff is still there. I didn't, I haven't uh, removed it or anything, so you can check it all out. Um, but yeah, just uh, that's the process. Trying a little bit of this, trying a little bit of that. And over time, somehow got to the point where seemed to have, I don't want to say struck gold, but just listening to feedback, looking at views, looking at what was working, the gameplay stuff seemed to be the best bet. And because I wasn't really concerned with how the channel grew, I just wanted to do something that was fun, that wasn't going to get boring that wasn't going to become drudgery. So I stayed away from certain types of content, I think. Uh, didn't want to become like a gossip channel, really. Video games seem pretty neutral. Something that people like to watch. Something that people have fun with. Something I have fun with. People were responding to the, uh, the no commentary gameplay videos. And so that's what I started doing. And that's how we got to where we are now. And the first big super play that I did was for Sense, a cyberpunk ghost story. Back in August of 2020. Just tried that out. Let me play this game. I'll record it, put it up, no commentary, see what happens. Did really well. All right, why don't I do that a little bit more? That was my thinking. 
And I kind of did a handful of, of games like that over the course of the next year, but nothing seemed to reach that level of success. So I was still tinkering with other video types. I did some He-Man episode reviews slash overviews, I guess. Just trying to break down a full episode of He-Man in, in one minute. And uh, that was uh, that was fun to do. I like doing those videos, but again, no one was watching them. So I had to continue trying other things and went back to the gameplay videos. Um, really came back, I think, strong with the Super Plays in August of 2021. And I played a game called Sentinel Girls Marfusha. And I think that one got like 300 and something views. And that was enough for me. I was like, okay, that's pretty good. That's better than 5 to 10. So let me see if I can find another game that it looks like at least that many people are going to be interested in. And I uh, did about 20 gameplay videos of the course of the next month after that. And then when I did Act Razor Renaissance late in September of 2021... That one really blew up. Uh, that one had whatever, I think like over 5,000 views pretty quickly. And I just kind of stumbled upon that video. It's not something that I was a fan of previously. I just saw ActRaiser Renaissance on Steam like right when it was released pretty much. Just a kind of stroke of luck that I checked Steam at that time. And I uh, thought it looked neat. Was reading some of the comments on it online. You know, people talking about the news of the release. It was just released out of nowhere. And it was a remake of a game that came out in 1990 on the Super Nintendo called Act Razor. And uh, that one was originally developed by Quintet Games, who also did the sequel, Act Razor 2. Another game that I remember from my childhood called Illusion of Gaia. I never played that one, but I saw it in Blockbuster like every single time I went to the video store. And I picked it up, I don't know how many times, like looked at the back, thought about renting it, and I'd put it back and get something else. But I know that game has like a huge following. And then um, Quintet also did the original Shenmue, which I just talked about earlier. So, uh, yeah, this this game ActRaiser on Super Nintendo, I was thinking, all right, well, maybe I should give that a try. Maybe I'll do a, a super play of this ActRaiser game. And I went on YouTube to try and find a walkthrough of the original just to see, because I try to keep my walkthroughs or my uh, super plays on games that I can do in one sitting for the most part. And I saw on YouTube there were some uh, walkthroughs of the original ActRaiser on Super Nintendo. Most of them seemed like they were around three or four hours. So I was thinking, all right, no big deal. You know, I'll, I'll give this a shot. And little did I know that uh, I was going to be in for an eight-part video series to get through that entire game. I think each video is between three and five hours long. Quite an undertaking, because they added a lot to the game. Uh, as far as the story goes, Like there, there are a lot of dialogue parts. And then also, I was initially attracted to the game because in the trailer... There were some really cool platform sequences, you know, kind of kind of reminded me of uh, Castlevania Symph Symphony of the Night. That's what it looked like a little bit. And 
I was like, okay, cool. Yeah, I can, I can jam on that. I can dig it. Uh, when I started playing the game, I realized that the platforming sections of the game make up maybe like 30% of the gameplay. Um, the rest is all like kind of tower defense, world building. You've got the big map in front of you where you see, you know, this town basically that you're responsible for uh, building up. You kind of take on the role of uh, a deity. And so you've got to inspire faith in the people of, of the val of the village that you're lording over, you know, and so you have to get them to build um, roads and, and build, uh, you know, castles and and um, and build up turrets and defenses so that when the monsters invade, then the people are able to fight them off. And you're kind of doing this RTS slash tower defense stuff throughout the majority of the game. That's really what most of it is. And I'm typically not a fan of those games. Really have never been much for your your RTS uh, style of gameplay. However, ActRaiser was a lot of fun. I ended up really enjoying it. I think a lot of it had to do with the art style and the soundtrack and just the ease of playing the game. It had great controls had a great user interface. So I was able to look past my typical aversion to those types of games and just enjoy the gameplay. And also it had a great story too. So I was kind of urged along by that. But I had no idea that it was going to turn into an eight-part series where it took me days to get through the game. And um, But it was worth it. Because with those videos... The channel finally got over the hump where I could try to get monetized. I I think around that time hit 1,000 subscribers, but YouTube has these uh, these requirements that your channel has to hit before they can allow you to get monetized, before you can start making money off your videos. And one of those is the requirement to have 1,000 subscribers, at least 1,000 subs. The other, you cannot have any active... Uh, strikes on your channel for breaking community guidelines. Uh, you have to have your two-step verification. That one's easy. But the hardest one for channels to get seems to be the 4,000 hours of watch time over the last 365 days. I would assume if you have a channel that focuses on really snappy, quick content, if you're making like 30-second to one to two-minute videos, I mean, you're going to have to get a lot of eyes on your videos to be able to meet that threshold. Now, lucky for me, I started doing these gameplay videos where most of them were at least like an hour-ish long, sometimes longer, like in the case of ActRaiser, which really, like I said, pushed me over the, over the hump. I was able to get past that 4,000 hours of watch time, no problem with the success that the ActRaiser videos had. So that was a stroke of luck. I don't necessarily look for games that are that long. In fact, I'll try to avoid them for the most part. But in that particular case, I'd already pulled the trigger. I bought the game. I started playing it. And I think once I hit about four hours, I looked around at the map and realized I had all these other sections to do. And it was like, oh my god, I am not even... I'm, I'm nowhere close to being done with this. So... 
I knew it was going to have to be chunked up into multiple parts, and I kind of just did one region of the game per video. And yeah, the first video I think now has done over 8,000 views. So I mean, it's not, it's not like, um, it's kind of a cult classic, I would say, but it still was inspiring to me to see that many eyeballs on it, uh, especially for the size of my channel back then. When I had just over a thousand viewers, I really was not doing much that uh, was uh, heading up into that kind of view territory. So again, these these sort of checkpoints I would hit spurred me on. It was like, okay, well, if I can get another one kind of like that fairly soon, we're going to get more growth and more growth and just kind of, yeah, not every video is going to be a, a hit, but some of them will be if I just keep doing it and I'm consistent and if people can count on consistent content when they come here then maybe they're not gonna like every game I play maybe they're not gonna watch every game but they'll at least stop by the channel to see what I'm putting up today and that was uh, that was when I kinda went all in on it and uh, started shooting for one video every day and from there, it was like most videos started doing between 100 to 1,000 views. Again, we're not talking about uh, T-series numbers here, but a vast improvement. A vast improvement. And that's, that should be, I think, inspiring. If you have a channel or if you have something that you're trying to do online, trying to build a following, it's like consistent effort that trumps one video that you do that, that kind of goes viral. If you do that, if you have like one viral video and then you think you can kick back and, oh, okay, well, I found the formula now. I just need to do a video just like this every so often and, and you know, I can kind of take time off in between. Kind of taking that old school musician approach I was talking about where you release the album, you do all this fanfare for it for a month, two months, throughout your tour and then you go away and hide and then come back and expect everyone to be excited for you that might work if you're a legend but now there are so many artists out there who are releasing stuff consistently who are staying in touch with their fans if you drop out of the the people's uh, you know consciousness for too long I think you end up being forgotten so I would say that being consistent and um, you know putting some effort in not I'm not saying be consistent and, and put out complete shit just low effort content every day it still has to be good but uh, yeah don't be discouraged if every single video is not doing a million views or if every piece of art you put up on Twitter or Instagram is not uh, being shared as much as the one you did you know five days ago just keep putting stuff up keep being consistent and that's been working for me um, that's all I can tell you uh, that's how I've gotten to where I am right now which is quite a bit further along than, than where I was a year ago so I think that I've had a little bit of success I can tell you at least how to how to inch forward consistently very important um, 
So going back to uh, the games here. The next big game that I did after ActRaiser, I would say, was Poppy Playtime. That video went from zero to a, a hundred thousand views, like in no time, in early October. And that was another one where I was just browsing through Steam, figuring out what I was going to play one day, and I saw this game pop up. You know, just the thumbnail. It looked creepy, looked fun. The big blue, uh, sort of Muppet-looking guy. That's Huggy Wuggy from Poppy Playtime, and uh, checked it out and was like, okay, whatever. It's like four ninety-nine. I hadn't like no reviews on it yet. I think I stumbled upon that pretty much right when it went on sale. But there wasn't like a bunch of fanfare for it initially. It wasn't this hyped-up game that millions of people were looking forward to. Uh, I just thought it looked like fun, and I played that and put the uh, gameplay up on the YouTube channel, and I mean, like zero to a hundred thousand just in the blink of an eye, it seemed like. And it wasn't even a particularly good walkthrough. It was better than the first one I recorded. The first attempt that I made at that game, I just basically walked around the lobby area for an hour, just looking in every corner, looking under every piece of furniture, behind every piece of furniture, because there was this like keypad by a door that you had to open and it didn't have numbers on the keypad they were like color coded like every key was a different color and you had to hit them in a particular order to open up this door so I was looking for tiles on the floor that might have been colored in a certain pattern I was looking for pieces of paper that might have like the the sequence written down on it I was looking in the gift shop that you could get into for like I don't know, a computer you could turn on that would give you some hint or something. There's just like nothing. And I was just walking around the same area for like an hour and I was recording it. And I was thinking to myself, no one's going to want to watch this. This is complete horse shit. I mean, there are those times in games where you get stuck like that, but it's usually when you're hours into it and there's a really tough puzzle that they're going to throw at you and see if they can just stop you dead in your tracks but this was the beginning of the game. And I finally figured out that there was this little choo-choo train hanging from, well, there was like a track, a track hanging from the ceiling in the gift shop, just a circular track and a choo-choo train going around it. And four train cars, all of them, you know, each one a different color. And I, I saw that finally. Because I had just been walking past it who knows how many times when I was searching this entire area for some sort of clue. I finally looked up and saw, oh my god, there you go. There are four train cars. There are four. Uh, it's a sequence of four colors that you have to enter into this keypad. There you go. There it is. So I did the, um, I did that sequence that matched the train cars and got into this room. And I was like, I have to start this over again now. And I think it was the first time I had done that. All my other ones had pretty much just been, I'll hit record, I'll play the game, and I upload it. But I wasn't going to leave in an hour of me wandering around aimlessly as soon as the game started. That is complete horse shit. No one wants to see that. Delete. Started over, did it again. 
uploaded that one. My computer was about to die. It's a very ugly playthrough if you watch it, but it's got like almost 400,000 views now. Um, I uh, got a new computer shortly after that and went back and did another playthrough that was a really good run. You know, I don't think I died at all. Really uh, still showed off the the building and, and all the posters and tried to get everyone a good look at all the stuff as I was going through. Um, but it, it did not get nearly as many views because the timing was not right. That first video went up like almost immediately after the game went out and that's what everyone started watching. So it has all these views, all these comments on it. And uh, the one on my brand new computer with my RTX 3080 and my 32 gigs of RAM it's been watched, I don't know, a thousand times or something. I'm like, man, I wish I could go in and, and replace the upload. Too bad YouTube doesn't give you the ability to do that to where you could update a video. Uh, can't do that, though. So that is what that is. Um, but that leads to something else here, something else interesting that happened in the world of Super Divorce as a result of Poppy Playtime. So I finished that game up and I just let, after the credits, kind of let it go back to the uh, main menu screen. And it's this view, it's like a parking lot view of the factory that you're in when you play the game. That's what the menu screen is. And it's animated, has kind of a yellow sky with clouds moving across it very dreamily. It's a very surreal looking scene. And it's this abandoned factory that you're staring at from the parking lot. It's it's peaceful, but like I said, it's surreal and slightly unsettling, but also soothing at the same time. And it's got this very elegant, mellow music playing in the background. And I was... Uh, letting this just play in the background of my office as I was kind of doing some things and I thought, hey, that's kind of a neat little screensaver type deal that I've got going on here. It's like a musical screensaver that's just the main menu of this game I just played. If I'm enjoying this, maybe some other people would like it. So I, I captured an hour of it and I was going to upload it until I realized that the music only only repeated for maybe 20 minutes and then stopped. So I had to open it and uh, premiere and I, I looped the music and I looped the animated screen in the background and just did an hour and rendered that out, uploaded it. And that video absolutely blew up like nothing I'd ever posted before. And it seemed like that one was like over 500,000 views very quickly. Did even better than the gameplay video. And that had another light bulb moment for me where I was like, okay, well, why don't I just do this for every game I play? So I'll play the game. I'll put the super play, no commentary, video game play uh, video up. I'll do that. And then when I finish the game, I'll just capture an hour of the uh main menu music and I'll throw that up too I started doing that and these main menu videos were doing even better 
oftentimes than the actual gameplay videos were. And, uh, you know, my channel was monetized. I was able to, to hit all those required uh, thresholds. And so, you know, started making some money finally on YouTube after like five years of trying this and that, different approaches. Uh, it seemed like I was finally firing on all cylinders and I had this, this system that was doing pretty well. And because the, uh, you know, the main menu music was captured like from the game itself, um, well, any of the games that, that had the music cleared and like not not dinging your channel for copyright violations or something. It was like these were were videos that I was capturing. Oftentimes I was editing because in many cases the main menu would work similar to the way that the Poppy Playtime one did, where you only get a loop so many times and then the music just cuts off. And I wanted these things to be uh of nice quality. So when they were animated backgrounds, I was going into to Premiere and trying to find a nice place to loop it so everything looks seamless. And so the music would, would loop seamlessly. And yeah, I was putting a little bit of effort into that, making a custom thumbnail for each one. So um, yeah, it seemed like a good deal. And then randomly, a couple weeks ago, YouTube sent me an email and it said, uh, hey, your channel's demonetized. You're not going to make money on your videos anymore. And the reason they gave me was that I was posting too much reused content. Even though all the gameplay videos that, that I post up are completely original, my playthroughs, you could uh, you can fact check that. You could run those videos through the entire internet and you would find they are originals. I'm not taking anyone else's content. Um, the problem seemed to be in, in my mind, it must have been with the music videos I was doing, even though, like I said, nothing I was posting had any copyright violations. I was not getting any channel strikes. I never got a warning. No one ever said you can't do this. It was just one day, boom, your channel's demonetized too much reused content. And they allowed me to appeal it, which I did. And I even sent them a video. I screen captured a video of me going through and showing what the process was when I, say, created one of these uh, main menu music videos where I was just grabbing like, you know, five minutes of the main menu and then going in and and then uh, finding the spot where a good loop would be and copy and pasting that and then rendering the thing and then, you know, doing the thumbnail for it and all this stuff and just tried to show them that it was a little bit more than me, say, grabbing the track from like the official website or the official YouTube channel of the uh, game developer and looping it. Uh, it was nothing like that. It was me opening the game that I purchased, capturing that screen, going in, editing myself, rendering it myself, and then uploading it. And to me, that was a transformative act. It, it, yeah, it was not as simple as taking someone else's video and, and just looping it. It was uh, something I was making. They did not agree with that, however, um, and told me that I could try to get re-monetized in 30 days if I removed the offending content from my channel. So, um, 
so I decided to create a second YouTube channel called Punished Super Divorce because I was being slapped on the wrist and I'm a Metal Gear fan. So uh, if you look up Punished Super Divorce on YouTube, you can find my second channel, which I started that I will never be uh, trying to monetize, but where I could move all of those music videos over to and keep them up because a lot of people would really enjoy them. I had a lot of comments, a lot of likes, a lot of people who were commenting on various videos that I had posted saying, oh man, this is so awesome. I listen to this every day when I'm studying or I listen to this every day when I'm going to sleep. You know, some of these videos, like I had two videos, the Poppy Playtime menu was one and then another one of DJ Music Man from uh, Five Nights at Freddy's Security Breach. Both of those went over a million views. My first two million plus view videos on the channel and uh, had, like I said, countless comments and, and discussions that had taken place on them. So I felt really bad that those had to come down. And all the other ones that didn't even necessarily get to that that degree of um, of viewership, but still, you see a video with 5,000, 10,000 views and all these comments that people had gotten used to coming back and watching. It's a bummer to have to pull those down, and I didn't want to just leave them down. So I created the second channel, and I uploaded everything over there. Um, you know, that was a process that took me several days to do, just basically sun up to sun down. I was doing nothing but downloading the video from my channel, uploading the video to the new channel, getting all the information from the from my channel now, putting it on the new one, re-uploading all the thumbnails, all this stuff. It was quite a process, but I got it done. So if you're listening now and you maybe missed the update that I did uh, on the Super Divorce community page on YouTube, you're wondering what happened to all the music videos that's where they are you can find all of them over at the punished super divorce channel and it's kind of funny to see these videos especially like the poppy playtime one or the dj music man or some of the other security breach videos that did really well especially uh nearing a million views back down to like 20 30 um but you know take it in stride and at least I get to try again in a month. And we know this moving forward. I would have appreciated a tap on the shoulder of some sort. I would have appreciated a warning. Like, hey, we reviewed your channel and found out that uh, you're posting this particular type of content that uh, we cannot allow you to monetize. So you're going to have to do something with it. I don't, I don't know why that couldn't have, I don't know why that couldn't have happened, why they couldn't have done that, uh, why it had to be, this like uh, go sit in the corner type punishment when again no no uh, strikes on the channel nothing even coming up under the copyright issue um, which really wouldn't have been an issue at all because had that been the case those videos ad revenue would have just gone to the owner of the copyright that's how it works on YouTube if something gets flagged so it seemed like fair use guess not uh, but live and learn and I got monetized with pretty much nothing but the 
no commentary gameplay videos. That's what got me there. So I can't imagine that's what the problem is. If that's the case, then my, my channel never should have been monetized in the first place. So I hope that's not what we're looking at. Uh, however, I'm hoping that by adding in the supercast, very early in this episode, I mentioned I would get around later to another reason why I brought it back. I thought this would be helpful, kind of diversifying the content. It's like, okay, I'll get rid of the gameplay videos. Not only that, I'll continue doing the super plays, and I'm also going to bring the podcast in to show you that uh, I'd like to diversify a bit. I'd like to add something else into the equation where if you, uh, if you have a problem that my videos are no commentary, okay, well, I'll bring the Super Divorce Supercast back into play and we'll comment on the games right here. That way we get the commentary and you also get to keep the video game playthroughs commentary free. So it seems to work out pretty well, I hope. Hoping that they see the light. I hope they agree with me on that. So, <clears throat> yeah. Um, looking at uh, where we go from there. If I can backpedal just a minute, I'll uh, talk about some of the other stuff that I've played that I think is worth mentioning. Uh, Poppy Playtime, of course, was a lot of fun. I think that's why the game did so well. Really fun game. You should check it out. There's actually a sequel coming out that they have just announced. Uh, chapter 2, Fly in a Web. No release date on that has been given yet. But uh, you can follow the developer Mob Games on Twitter at Mob Games Studios. Follow them on Twitter for updates. They're really good about updating when uh, people need to know, when they have new things to talk about. Played a great game last year in late 2021 called Elisa. If you're a fan of games like Resident Evil, Dino Crisis, your old school tank control survival horror games, Elisa feels 100% like it came out in 1998 on the PlayStation. I mean, it's... uh. It is of a quality that belongs right there in the actual Resident Evil canon. I mean, with, with some different character names and some different uh, enemy types, this could have been a Resident Evil game. 100%. I think that it's a longer playthrough. I think the video on that one is about 10, 10 and a half hours, maybe more than that but uh, felt completely authentic. I had to actually play that game. It was a nightmare starting out. I had to play that game with my keyboard only. Uh, that was something else. That was, uh, that was something. I didn't know how I was going to do it when I started. It would not pick up my controller. I don't know if they've fixed that since then, but when I started off, uh, I didn't know if I was going to be able to make it through just because of how clunky it felt. Using tank controls in a survival, old school survival horror game, a very unforgiving survival horror game, tank controls with a keyboard. That was pretty tough. But uh, I got through it. 
by the end of it, I was kind of rocking and rolling. I really got used to it. So if you have to play it using a keyboard, don't fret. It's still worth going through. It's worth that initial discomfort. So I would give it a try. Uh, well worth it. Well worth it if you're into those types of games. What else? Played uh, a game that was tied for my 2020, 20, uh, 2020, 2021 game of the year. Happy's Humble Burger Farm. Got that one back on December 5th. That's done very well as far as views go. 70,000 views on that, that playthrough. I believe I might have had the first no commentary playthrough up on YouTube of Happy's Humble Burger Farm. I even got the developers the game. They left me a very nice comment. They, they said, epic playthrough. I think it was something like that. They said it was epic. Epic run, I think, might have been what they said. But they commented, the Scythe dev team, basically a three-man uh, development team. Blake Ribel, this guy who does the design and level design modeling. Caleb Alfada, you might know him as KFDDA. He's also an electronic artist and lead programmer. And then uh, John Riley, a.k.a. John of the Shred, who founded Scythe Saga Records in 2013, one of the other big developers there in the Scythe dev team, creators of Happy's Humble Burger Farm. And what's cool about this Scythe dev team is that all of the games that they create take place in this Scythe Saga universe, created by John of the Shred for his, his musical projects way back in 2013 and all of his albums take place in this universe and he got together with Caleb and uh, they decided to uh, sort of expand that Scythe Saga universe into the realm of video games and the first video game that they created together was called Northbury Grove they ended up making four Northbury Grove video uh, video games that I actually just recently played through and I compiled all those playthroughs into one video you can check that out on the super divorce youtube channel very 80s slasher type uh type of uh vibe in those games the northbury grove massacre arc is uh, what those four games comprise and then uh, after the northbury grove games came out they made happy's humble burger barn which was like kind of um you know, kind of a, a sign of things to come concerning Hap Happy's Humble Burger Farm. Got to get these names right. Uh, Happy's Humble Burger Farm tied for Game of the Year of 2021 with Five Nights at Freddy's Security Breach, in my opinion. Those are, those are my two games of the year for 2021. And, uh, you know, you should definitely check out both of them, but I'm speaking now mostly about Happy's Humble Burger Farm. You have a job working at Happy's. You got to go there. You got to walk to your job every day. You got to make some burgers, take the orders, whip up all the orders. You got to do it in a timely fashion. You can't hand people the wrong things. You can't make the orders incorrectly or else you get penalized. You have 
three strikes when you're working throughout your work shift. If you mess up three times, then Happy herself, Happy the Heifer, comes out like an evil version and, and starts chasing you down and will uh, will kill you if you do not appease Happy. And uh, you have to do that by grabbing a, an evil burger patty, cooking it up for her, and then you have to throw it at her, get her to eat it. And then she'll go away and you go back to your work day. But you wrap up your work day, you make money at the end of every shift, you've got to use your money in these vending machines to buy components to make these contraptions that you need to use to try and escape this weird city that you're trapped in. And one of the great things about Happy's Humble Burger Farm is how deep the story goes. And it's not <laughs> it's not something like the, the theme of the game and the way it plays out the lore, if you will, I never would have guessed. I never would have guessed the story would be as interesting as it is just by looking at uh, the trailer. But playing through it was quite an experience, and the world that it's set in is fantastic. You know, the all of the music is awesome, and I, yeah, I don't think I'd ever played a game quite like it. Um... I really hope that they continue that series because it was just, uh, it definitely left me wanting more. And I played through it twice now. Actually, three times. The first time, my first run of Happy's Humble Burger Farm took me about ten and a half hours to get through it in one sitting. Sat down, played through it, um... And then at the end, realized that my recording had been corrupted. I don't remember exactly what happened to cause that, but the video file could not be used. And I about shit myself. Because it was such an awesome game, and the playthrough was so so much fun, and I was so excited to get it uploaded and share it. And then the file wouldn't work. So I, you know, frantically started searching the internet for various ways to repair a corrupted file. And there were like uh, several different programs that you can download to, uh, you know, to try to make that happen. That will try to repair a corrupted file for you. Uh, gave it a shot. I had one that actually spit out a file that I could open up and I was sitting there like moment of truth waiting. I was like, oh my God, okay, maybe it's fixed. Maybe maybe this will work. Uh, open it up and it's like it plays for a couple seconds and then just stops. And then you get like just a frozen frame for 10 seconds and then another couple seconds and then it stops. And it was just like that. And it was just like, ugh. Oh. Just the damn thing was unusable. It was not... It would have been completely unacceptable to upload. So um, I had to delete it. And I sat there, head in hands for a moment. And realized there was only one thing to do. And that was to start the game over again. And do another playthrough. And I pretty much did it immediately. However, because of that, my second run, the one that's uploaded, was just under four hours. So I shaved like six and a half hours or something off of my playthrough. 
because there was no confusion. Uh, I didn't have any moments of getting stuck. I kind of knew just where to go and when to go there and what I needed for this and what I needed for that. So there was like no backtracking, no wasted breath. And um, I think it actually worked out really well because not only was it a, a, a cool game to watch, I also, in this instance, was able to upload more of a traditional walkthrough that could be consulted and wouldn't have um, sort of the bumbling around that a, a lot of my videos have where it's just me doing a blind playthrough, which I try to be upfront about. You know, as I said earlier, I don't call my videos walkthroughs. I call them super plays. And I often in the uh, comments section will tell people, look, this is not point A to point B. You're going to see deaths. You're going to see confusion. You're going to see horse shit. And I've been upfront about that. But in this particular case, it was more of a traditional walkthrough. And uh, yeah, so I'm happy with that and how it turned out. And uh, I look forward to playing more from the Scythe dev team in the future. If you'd like to follow Scythe dev team on Twitter, if you're interested in hearing about what they have going on, if you'd like to stay up to date with their news and such, you can follow them at dev, D-E-V underscore Scythe, S-C-Y-T-H-E, at dev underscore Scythe on Twitter. So uh, check them boys out and uh, check the games out too. Sir, top notch, top notch stuff. Now let me uh, discuss my other game of the year from 2021. Five Nights at Freddy's Security Breach. Five Nights at Freddy's, a series that I had heard about for many years. Seeing the toys in Walmart and GameStop was familiar with, uh, with the games, but I'd never played any of them. And I saw the trailer for Security Breach and uh, was just like, man, that looks really cool. Saw the Pizza Plex where the game takes place. It was just eye-catching and drew me in. And I was like, I have got to play that on this channel when it comes out. And I also knew the series being very popular, uh, it could be a good thing for the channel. I was like, if I can get a gameplay video up of that pretty early, then perhaps that'll uh, that'll make some people happy too. So I downloaded it immediately when it came out. Unfortunately, the launch was a little rocky on the PC. I was having some issues with it. It was not running very smoothly, and I actually uh, was so unhappy with how it was running. I went, I grabbed my PS4, I brought that into my office, I finagled everything around. I got it set up so that my computer could capture my PS4 gameplay. I bought it, downloaded it for the PS4, and it ran even worse on the console. So, went back, played it on PC anyway. It seemed to smooth out a little bit over time. I turned the settings down a little bit. That helped somewhat, not a whole lot. Couldn't even turn ray tracing on. Uh, or else it would just like completely glitch out, not not move at all, uh, which should not be happening on my computer. I should be able to put some damn ray tracing on. Uh, couldn't use it, so I played it the way that I could, and still one of the most beautiful games I've ever played. 
The setting in that game, second to none. The Pizza Plex setting in Five Nights at Freddy's Security Breach is probably the coolest setting in a video game video game that I have ever played in my life. I just want to walk around in there. And I saw a lot of people who have said the same thing. A lot of people want a mode in that game, like a you know, you're locked in this pizza plex is what it's called. Imagine if you're not familiar with this, if you haven't seen any trailers, if you don't know what it is, imagine a Chuck E. Cheese the size of the Mall of America. That's kind of what the Pizza Plex is. It's like a, che- uh, a Chuck E. Cheese, Dave and Buster's, the size of the biggest mall you've ever seen in your life, with an indoor racetrack, like an indoor go kart track, indoor mini golf, um, you know, a bowling alley, a food court, several gift shops, you know, a, a huge dining room with a stage, like a huge. Um, what would you say, like a a huge daycare center that's like a full-size play place. If you ever went to Discovery Zone back in the day, it's like a a Discovery Zone in one area. And uh, a movie theater. What else do they have? They've got uh, laser tag. I mean, just so much. So much to see, so much to explore. But you also have to evade these evil animatronics that are walking around trying to devour you. You play as this little boy named Gregory and you're, you're trying to evade these monsters and survive until 6 a.m. And uh, you've got the help of Glamrock Freddy, who's kind of, you can imagine him almost like a, a mech. You jump inside of him and you can use him to run around. When you're inside Freddy, none of the other animatronics will see you. And so you can walk right past them freely. But Freddy has a limited amount of uh, battery power. So you can only use him for so long. And then you have to get to a recharging station. And there are certain areas of the game where you can't take Freddy with you. Where it gets super difficult. But that's sort of the uh, that's sort of the, the elevator pitch. Um, as far as what the gameplay is like and, and so forth. So it gets pretty intense. What I was going to say is a lot of people are wanting a daytime option where instead of being stuck in the pizza plex at night you just you're walking around during the day like when there are customers there and kids having birthday parties and i thought it'd be neat to take a little bit out of the book of uh scythe dev team from happy's humble burger farm and do a mode where you're actually playing as an employee at the pizza plex and Maybe you can uh, you can have different mini games for the person to engage in, depending on where they want to work. You know, you could work in a gift shop, and there's different mini games you have to do throughout the day to help the customers. Maybe you could go and work at one of the restaurants in the food court, and those would have their own mini games you have to do to like complete your shift. Maybe you could go and work at the uh, at the laser tag attraction, and so on and so forth. And then you earn money when you get off work. You get paid. You can go to the gift shops. You can buy Five Nights at Freddy's merch. You could buy collectibles for your apartment that you go back to. You can buy like t-shirts and uh, and hats and so on and so forth. Accessories you can put on your avatar. Cool things like that, you know. 
so many options there. It's almost like it could be its own game. But all the assets are already there. So that's what I was thinking. That would be a cool mode to offer people where you just get to go and you work and then you get off work and you can go and explore the pizza plex without you know any worry of being uh, accosted or slashed to death by one of these animatronics you know i think that would be a fun uh, a fun option to offer people so maybe they'll do something like that in the future in any event five nights at freddy's security breach well worth playing and it it got me roped into the world of five nights at freddy's and after I played that one, I decided to go back and play all of the other ones. Like before Security Breach came out, I had only played the first Five Nights at Freddy's game. And I'd only played that like a week before Security Breach was released. Just to be somewhat familiar with uh, the background of the series. I mean, you find out very quickly if you dive into that series that you play the first one, you still don't know shit about it. Because there's so much... Uh, lore everyone loves that word so much lore to explore in the Five Nights at Freddy's universe there are books there are graphic novels there are all the games um, there's a lot to it and a lot of theorizing amongst YouTubers and fans um, about certain aspects of certain characters histories and you know what this and that game meant and what this and that game meant. So uh, it's a very, very interesting series to jump into and one that I became a huge fan of really quickly and uh, one I was really impressed with and a series that, um, that I was also very disappointed in when all was said and done because of what happened with the creator of Five Nights at Freddy's, Scott Cawthon. I heard about his cancellation when it was going down last year. But as someone who wasn't really into the games, it was just like kind of a casual acknowledgement of, oh yeah, here's another guy who got canceled. Okay, great. When you find out how involved he was in the Five Nights at Freddy's fandom, when you find out how cool he was, with all the people who made the fan games. Like there's a completely... I've never seen anything like it where this series spawned like this subculture of, of fan games. Many of them feeling like they're the quality, um, the same quality that uh, the mainline games actually made by Scott himself were where people took such care to craft continuations of the story or kind of offshoots to the story that, of course, are not officially canon. But some of these people have launched their own game series that have their own fans now and their own followings. I played a few of them. I played the Five Nights at Candy's games on this channel, uh, on my YouTube channel, Five Nights at Candy's. Five Nights at Candy's 3, by the way, is very similar to Five Nights at Freddy's 4, where you are playing the game from the perspective of a kid who's kind of trapped in their bedroom at night, and you're trying to keep the monsters at bay, trying to uh, keep them up out of your face, you know. Um, very similar 
in tone and feel. But I actually think that I prefer just the setting and the controls and the way that Five Nights at Candy's 3 plays when you compare it to Five Nights at Freddy's 4. I think that the fan game is actually the superior game out of those two. And that's not to say that Five Nights at Freddy's 4 is bad. It's a really it's a really cool game. It's really interesting and it it um it, it does something quite different than what the other games in these series had done up to that point. So I just wanted to comment on that and say that these uh these fan games inspired by what Scott made himself um very impressive very impressive and and Scott has commented on some of these these fan games and given his full support for them uh not only like Five Nights at Candy's but also one called Pop Goes which was really interesting another great game very high quality feels like it could have been released by Scott really interesting controls a little difficult to get the hang of but once you get in there and and get to it it's uh it's a lot of fun but these games were made possible and they were allowed to be made by the creator himself who gave these people his blessing you know there are some game studios out there that would not be so lenient with their properties properties wouldn't let their properties properties be uh, referenced or mentioned in these types of of uh, creations Nintendo you know the way that they act about their properties not willing to share even with you know their most passionate and loving fans but to not just see that Scott was the type of guy who allowed these things to be made but he also gave them his blessing talked about how cool some of them were actually acknowledged them, did regular check-ins with the fans, kept up to date with them, um, kept them in the loop most of the time concerning what was what was going on, what he was getting ready to release, did interviews, you know, and, and uh, yeah, just really seemed to have um, a deep, gratitude and love for the fans of Five Nights at Freddy's the people who helped bring his uh, his creation to the level that it got to and to see him thrown under the bus and canceled basically because people found out that he was a Republican <laughs> it's just ridiculous I mean absolutely it's it's just silly it's silly that people would react that way because they found out that someone they like and supported and who has been nothing but nice to them uh, is uh, of a different political affiliation than they would prefer. You, you know, not taking into account how he's treated people, not judging him based on that, not ju judging him based on how he's treated the fans and what he's given to them over the years, but judging him because he supported a political candidate that, that you don't like. And that's worthy of throwing in the towel 
and giving up on him as a person. It's more extreme, I think, than even going for someone's employer and trying to get them fired. Because they basically got him fired from his own creation. And if you can't even do that, then where are you supposed to go? It's not like, I mean, I think it's, it's horrible when people, it's horrible enough when people go after someone's job because they find out something like this, you know, not talking about, uh, discovering that someone is an actual Nazi talking about, we're, we're talking about someone who is, um, a member of a mainstream political party. You may disagree with their views, but no, they're not, uh, Republicans are not Nazis. Sorry to, to burst your bubble if that's the way you feel, but they're not. I think if you believe that, I think you're very naive. You have a lot of learning to do. And you better be ready to cancel one out of like every two people in the United States. Because that's about how things are split. You're interacting with with Republicans every single day. I hope you know that. If that's if you have that opinion, oh my God, he's a Republican. Needs to be canceled. Um, you're encountering people every day that you should be canceling. Then, you know, so better get to work. Uh, anyway, it's absurd. The man was driven out of his own series his own franchise that he built from the ground up because people couldn't deal with the fact that he is uh, a member of a political party they don't like a mainstream political party yeah pretty pathetic pretty pathetic and then to see the series going on without him is just kind of a bummer because he should have been right there in the mix when security breach was was released he should have been out there interacting with people and and doing all the interviews and and uh and he should have been involved in the process of people enjoying this game and and talking about it and playing it and and uh and sort of stepping into a new era of Five Nights at Freddy's because I feel like this will it's probably going to change moving forward and he said he's going to leave it in the hands of someone he trusts which is nice that the series is going to be able to continue but also it's been his and he's guided it so much and it's tough not to worry that it'll become something completely different not in a good way either it'll be something that gets hijacked by the people who drove him out almost out of spite because if they were able to do that, if they're able to drive the creator himself out of his creation, why would they stop there? Why would they be content with that? Why wouldn't they now try to make it into yet another franchise that gets ruined because it's no longer about fun, it's no longer about entertainment, it becomes another platform for people to try to invade and to use for their own ends use as a bullhorn 
that they can shout their political opinions through, which Scott never did, which is, uh, again, another thing that makes it so tragic. If you would have not gone digging, it's not like you play these games and and (laughs) there's right-wing propaganda in them. They're just games. They were scary stories. And they were fun for everyone. Everyone could enjoy these up to a certain point. Until they found out, oh, that guy, you know, fuck Scott Cawthon. Even though he's been completely pleasant and a complete delight to have around. Fuck him. He doesn't deserve to eat. Yeah. Can't get on board with you if uh, that's the way you feel. So, uh, hopefully, at some point in the future, he changes his mind and decides to come back and tells everyone in no uncertain terms that he will not be bullied or thrown out of the world that he worked his ass off to build. That's what I would like to see happen. All right, moving on from that, uh, a few more games that I can mention here. Recently played a game called Fears to Fathom, Norwood Hitchhike. And then I also played the precursor to that one, Fears to Fathom, Home Alone. These are two games created by a developer named Ray L.L., you can find Ray on Twitter at the Ray L L R A Y, and uh, this is a seems to be a one person, a one person job. Ray had just posted on Twitter that uh, that uh, they have moved out of their parents' home, and will just be starting episode three. So fears to fathom is an episodic horror game series you can think of each episode being kind of like a modern urban legend and you can write to Ray with your horror stories with ideas that you have maybe with stories you've heard maybe with something that happened to you and it could end up being the inspiration for another episode of the Fears to Fathom series in uh, Fears to Fathom Home Alone you are basically playing as a teenager who's home alone. Your parents are out for the evening, and uh, you are dealing with a scenario where there's kind of someone stalking, slinking around your home in the middle of the night, and uh, you're trying to basically survive that encounter. And then Norwood Hitchhike, playing as a girl who is on her way home from a big concert. Car breaks down on a back road you know and you have to uh, get a ride from someone they drop you off at the local motel and then creepiness ensues there both fantastic games pretty quick plays I think you can get through them between 20 and 30 minutes uh, uh, they've got kind of a throwback feel kind of a VHS style filter over top of them and Kind of an unsettling quality to both, but enticing, alluring, 
fun to play, fun to look at, but also, like I said, just just creepy, just a bit unsettling. Uh, well worth it, though. I think only like $2.99 per episode. So definitely worth trying those out if you uh, get an opportunity to do so. Uh, another creepy game. Surreal game. Weird game. One of the weirdest games I've ever played. Executable Education from Shroudy Software. Check out their website at shroudysoftware.com. You can find Executable Education on itch.io. And what are you doing, Executable Education? You're basically running away from evil Sonic the Hedgehog the whole game. In the first part, you're in an office building and you're in a room with a bunch of cubicles. The lights go down. You've got these kind of red emergency lights on and you're being stalked around the room by a giant animatronic Sonic the Hedgehog who's trying to catch and kill you. As you try to evade Sonic, you have to make your way to various terminals in this room, in these cubicles, and um, and there'll be like a series of uh, words that you have to type in to activate the terminal. And you have to do this very quickly because as you're typing, Sonic is coming after you. So you have to like evade him, run away, get to a certain spot where you're far enough away from him, access a computer, start typing, you know, uh, finish up with that one, get off of it really quick and move to the next one. It's tough. That's a tough game. Once you get through that part, you're in this schoolhouse that resembles like a 90s CD-ROM type of learning game. And I, I read that it's also inspired by Baldi's Basics. Uh, I've never played any of Baldi's games, but that's what this is supposed to be kind of like. Only it's Sonic coming after you, not Baldi. So you get too many questions wrong. Sonic starts following you through the schoolhouse. You have to try to escape. Eventually, when you do that, then you're in a kind of Five Nights at Freddy's scenario where you're in like Sonic's hot dog diner in the control room and you've got to keep the doors closed on both sides or else the animatronic Sonics get in and, and uh, I guess they uh, kill you. So you don't want that to happen. I don't know where this idea came from, but it was interesting and it was fun to play through and it's like a name your own price deal on itch.io so if you want to try it out give it a shot it's worth it oh what else do we got here uh lastly just last week i played this one my friendly neighborhood this is a demo from john and evan shemansky published by dread xp in this game my friendly neighborhood you are dropped into what could we say kind of like the imagine the bowels of the studio where they film and create Sesame Street. That's where this game starts out. And you're trying to avoid these puppets that I suppose are evil for some reason. I don't know the backstory. It's just the demo. But you've got evil puppets that you need to avoid and uh, feels similar in tone to like your Poppy Playtime. Um... Looking forward to the full game when that comes out. But I've got the playthrough of that up on my channel. You can check that out. My Friendly Neighborhood. That was cool. Um, by the way, John and Evan Shemansky, the creators of My Friendly Neighborhood, their brother David 
is the creator of a throwback kind of boomer shooter, if you will, called Dusk. And I actually streamed that several times back in 2019 on this channel. The Dusk game, which was a fun throwback shooter. Lots of blood and guts, but very 90s looking. Not like super ultra realistic or anything. Just uh, more, more in line with Quake, Unreal Tournament, that type of thing. Really quick. Um, nice controls though, nice and snappy. So check Dusk out if you haven't done that. And that pretty much brings us up to speed, guys. That's uh, that's what's going on around here. Those are the games that I I would say I've had the most fun with, that I felt like were most worthy of being talked about at length. And uh, oh boy. That's about the end of this episode, I think. Episode number 102 of the Super Divorce Supercast. So if you've enjoyed hanging out, please look forward to episode number 103. And that should be coming this Saturday, Lord willing. I'd like to be right back here with you and we'll be discussing probably the games that I play between now and Saturday. And... Any other big goings-on in, in the world of entertainment or comic bookdom that I feel like talking about? Maybe just random tidbits. You can get a little random sometimes. That's okay. So random. Oh, my God. So random. But I hope that uh, you will join me again very soon. And um, hopefully we don't have a three-year break in between this in the next episode that would be a good thing all right so everyone take real good care keep kicking ass love you lots lord willing i'll be back very soon with another supercast for you to watch or listen to okay bye-bye